You're about to hear a conversation with Davy Cavett Razzo. Davy is a former Hoffman Process teacher and former director of training and director of faculty right here at the Hoffman Institute. Now, I mention that because she left a job that she absolutely loved after 17 years and at age 49. So you can imagine how hard that was. But why did she do it? Because she had the courage to listen to that quiet voice inside of her, telling her that she had something to create, that she had something to give back to the world. Davy's story is a beautiful embodiment of her trusting her intuition, leaning into her support system, and taking courageous action. So to those of you who are facing a transition in your life or an upcoming change, listen up, because Davy's story will most definitely move you and even motivate you. Enjoy it. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. All right, Davey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sharon. It's so nice to be here with you. (laughs) Well, I think it's only fair that we share our history together because you are a pretty pivotal person for me. First of all, you know what's interesting? I always remember the phone call when you called me to tell me that I had been hired as a teacher. And the first words you said was, this is the easiest decision I've ever made or something to that tune. And it was so flattering. It stayed with me all this time and I still think about it. So, Well, it's true. I, rem- I remember that moment as well, Sharon, and I, I stand by my statement. Aw, it was so sweet. And I remember meeting you actually for the first time in your process. And I remember us connecting over, yeah, shoes. <laughs> I think we were wearing the same shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, so for context, Davey uh, not only gave me that magical phone call that then put me into a chapter that has permanently changed my life for the better, but also was my trainer with my cohort. She was also my teacher trainer when I was actually an intern in the classroom. She was the process director. She was the director of faculty and the vice president, all while I started becoming a Hoffman teacher. So to say that you are an important person in my journey is quite the understatement. Suffice it to say, I'm very, very happy to be connected and to be having you on the show. So since Hoffman is what brought us together, I'd love to just start with that can you bring us to when you took the process, why you took the process? What, what brought you to the Hoffman process in the first place? So, yeah, I was just reflecting on that before we were about to have this conversation. And unbelievably, it was um, more than two decades ago. Um, 
it was 1996 and a friend of mine had just come home from having done the process. And I remember she got home on a Monday and she drove to my house, knocked on my door and said, you have to go and do this. She was right. I did have to. I knew immediately that I would and that I should and that I would. And I made the call that day. And, you know, the process was incredibly meaningful and powerful for me for so many reasons. But one of them was I immediately saw this is the work I want to do. So while I had incredible breakthroughs and healing with my parents and healing with many, many very difficult patterns I'd been, been dealing with, I also pretty quickly stepped into becoming a teacher right after that. I was already doing work as a family therapist and, and working with family systems. And so much of what was in the process was familiar to me. Uh, but I just, I just, I thought the process was magical, the way it was put together and the teachers, their professionalism and their love and their compassion and their, their holding of this journey. And I was just deeply, deeply moved and impressed with, with all of it, you know, pretty quickly stepped onto that path myself. I know it's such a magical production. And I, I had a similar moment where I just looked up at all the teachers and you were there and just felt so much gratitude knowing how much thought went into every detail of that process. But I want to pick up on, on this friend. So how did this turn into action? You know, I know for me, I had heard about the Hoffman process and it didn't become something I did for a good decade. What was going on in you that you had the openness or the ability to hear it or the ability to translate it into action when this friend came home and told you this is something you need to do? You know, generally, I would say that when, when something is right for me, this is something I've been pretty good at acting on in my life. So I, I'm not sure it took much of anything. I heard it, I knew, and I went and I did it. And I, I have tended to move like that in my own life. And the process called to me. So uh, it really didn't take much time at all, and there wasn't much thinking involved. There was excitement, there was joy, there was anticipation, and I knew that it would lead to something big in my life. And so how did it turn from you being a student to you pursuing being a teacher? Well, it just so happened, after I finished the process, a new group was being put together of trainees. I applied for that and came to, at the time, the way that teachers were being chosen was a bit different than the way it's done today, but we came together for a weekend and gosh, there were dozens and dozens of, of people there who'd, who were interested in becoming teachers. And we spent a weekend together um, doing all kinds of different activities and giving presentations and getting to know one another. And then from that group, a handful of people were chosen to go through the teacher training program. Yeah, that's quite different than how it was done even when I became a teacher, not to mention today. And would you say that being a teacher had an impact on your growth journey as a person, as a healer, as a facilitator, et cetera? Oh, absolutely. There's something about doing the kind of work that we do as teachers and then the kind of work I'm currently doing as well. I've always been in this space of working with human beings. This has been my, my life work. But as a teacher, one of the biggest gifts for myself, and I think for many teachers, is the invitation to get out of your own way and to really 
show up for other people in a powerful way. And I remember in my own training, <laughs> um, when I was practicing various presentations and, and getting ready, you know, to, to be doing this stuff in the classroom, I remember having an insight, something like this. I was feeling nervous about what I had to present. And I realized much more important than my, how I look or uh, how I speak is that I show up for the people in this room. And that they, I'm there to serve them. I am there to serve their healing. I am there to serve the work that they're there to do. And if I really step aside and let that be the mission in, in any given moment, something powerful happens. So, you know, learning how to do that again and again and again and again over the years was a powerful practice, again, of getting out of my own way and just showing up and letting, you know, letting truth happen, letting magic happen, and, and really connecting with people from that place of presence without agenda. Is there a time that you can recall when you were a student that was kind of like this pivotal or magical moment for you as a student? There were a few of them. I remember looking around the room and everyone in the room was, it looked to me like everyone in the room was crying their eyes out. And I wasn't. Oh, I got so upset and worried about that fact. Like, what's wrong? I can't cry. I can't, you know, I'm not using as many tissues. I'm not using any tissues as everyone else in the room. And, and this is a very difficult day for me in the process. And later on in the day, I had just a, a moment of, of falling to my knees and weeping deeply about how much I wanted things to be different in my life and how much I actually loved my parents. I remember this moment for me being something about our feelings don't come in the moment when they're supposed to necessarily. But if we surrender and we stay present and have the intention of healing, Things move, things change. Beautiful. Yeah, they have they have their own timeline, and it's not always on board with ours. That's right. That's right. And I think that that you know that insight for me really helped me over the years to hold students. Because I think so often students are thinking they're not feeling the right thing at the right time. <laughs> and, uh, well, certainly what I've come to see is if you hold that intention of healing and, and of being on this journey, the right things will happen. It just looks different for each person. You know, that w when you just said that you were weeping deeply and you had just realized how much you loved your parents, I, I got goosebumps. I really felt the depth of that realization for you. I wasn't your teacher, but w was that a surprise to you? Yeah, I guess in a certain way it was. Maybe I knew it intellectually, but in that moment, I was deeply connected to it and deeply connected to my forgiveness for them and my honoring of them. Yeah, there, there are certain things even as a teacher that still get me, like um, when we do the visualization, when the two parents come together from a place of love and you get to see that and oh and it's before you're born and that's the product and that's where you came from and it just gets me every single time every single time you know this this example that you said it's it's um a perfect expression of you getting out of your own way basically 
which was the the invitation that this is what you see in general being your work, right? Whether it's Hoffman or what you do today or what you've done probably all your life is helping people on their own journey of getting out of their own way. Is that is that accurate? I would say that's that's pretty accurate, yes. And so you were with Hoffman for, like you said, almost 20 years, right? That's right, yeah. And um, you went on to, to do something equally powerful in the world. Do you mind telling us what it is that you do these days? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll back up just a little bit. I, I left Hoffman about, gosh, six years ago now. I was 49 at the time, and I love the process. I love the teachers. I love the institute. And here I am at the sort of threshold of my 50s and looking ahead at the next 10 years of my life, the next decade, and asking, what's next for me? You know, how do I really want to devote these next 10 years? Having spent 17 years as a, as a Hoffman teacher, and, and I decided to take a big leap into something that had been sort of a quiet voice inside of me for a number of years. That started a few years back as a teacher. Uh, I started to get curious that at the end of processes, how often I would hear people say how much their life had changed and these miracles that had happened. And But I don't want to go back to work. I'm afraid to go back to work. I don't feel seen there. I don't feel like I can really bring my full self there. I heard this again and again, and, and of course, many leaders come through the Hoffman process and then would speak about wanting to change the company that they're running, wanting to do it differently. And then pieces started to come together for me as I was sort of beginning to see the next direction for my life. And I had a number of experiences of teaching processes to groups of people that already had a bond before they came into the process. So we did the process for a, a number of years at the Harvard Kennedy School. And you know, the group of students that came in, they had previous relationships. Uh, another place where we did it was a, a boarding school on the East Coast. And again, this was the faculty. These people knew each other. And what I saw happening in these processes where the, the relationships were already established is that how they worked together, how they communicated, how they listened to one another deeply shifted. And it wasn't just a process about my own life and my own journey. It really became a process about their relationships with one another. I was quite inspired by this and stepped out at one point I, to go and get a master's in organizational systems. And again, continued to really sort of build, where is all of this going? Where is this interest going? And at 49, decided to say heartful, loving farewell to my work as a teacher, which was you know, incredibly fulfilling, and to start a consulting business, coming into organizations and helping them to look at leadership within their organization and how the company is running, how to create workplaces where there's truly like humanity is being respected and creativity is cultivated and there's a sense of belonging in the organization and there's a sense of mission and purpose, but also there's a sense of strong relationships within the organization with the leadership and with each other, really to create sort of a, you know, a buzzing hive of, of energy and productivity and forward movement, but that is really connected in a way to people's hearts and connected to who they truly are and being able to really 
fully bring their creativity and bring their authenticity into the workplace. So, you know, I set out to, how about we change everything about how we're working together (laughs) and change what organizations look like. So, yeah, I started building Orem Leadership. I've been working on this project for six years now, and we've done some pretty amazing things in organizations. You know, I sometimes think it's a little bit like putting the leadership team of an organization through their own journey. We put individuals through the Hoffman process. Well, you know, at Orem, we're putting teams through a process that really brings them into heartful, real, honest, intelligent relationships with each other and sort of clears the pathway for them to collaborate and work together and respect each other. It's beautiful. I can't imagine an organization that doesn't need this. I don't think we're running out of work anytime soon. (laughs) And people are often asking me, who's your ideal client? And, you know, we work with all kinds of different companies now. We've really, we really have a lot of experience from the service industry to the tech world to manufacturing. We really have a wide range of clients. And, And the best thing I can say about who our ideal client is, is a company that has a leader who's had a heart-opening, transformative experience, and they want to do things differently in their life. They want to lead differently. They want to run their company differently. We meet them there. I love all of this, and I have a long list of curiosities. But I also want to backtrack to the fact that you were 49 years old, so looking at 50, you were in a job that you were at for 17 years. And loved. And loved and was when you were fulfilled and it used your skills in a, in a really beautiful way. And you had the courage, the drive, some magic to make a change. And that's not easy. 49 is a, you know, interesting moment in time and 17 years. Can you break down like how, how did you face this transition and what were some surprises uh, both in, wow, I didn't realize this would be so easy and also, damn, I didn't realize this would be so challenging. Yeah. Well, this is a great, great set of questions, Sharon. Um, I mean, I look back and I go, was I crazy? (laughs) Just to hear you describe it. And I, and I do, I see a lot of people who at that age, it's, we're really asking deep questions about how we're living and who we are and what's next for this next big chunk of our lives. And yeah, so how did I leave something that I loved so much? And I loved my colleagues. I loved the work I was doing. And yet there was a voice inside of me that said, you have something to create. I mean, I'll be honest. It was, you know, the first year was, was very challenging. The first year, especially, I had a lot of grief to be honest, uh, leaving my colleagues and leaving something that I love so dearly and, you know, stepping out into the world in a very different way and, you know, beginning to look at, okay, who are my clients going to be and who am I collaborating with and what are the models? So, so, you know, we really spent the first year building the models and, and really researching and talking to people and, you know, while I was also grieving grieving, uh, having left something I love so much. So it was challenging to make a huge career change. And like many other things in our lives, I would say that it's a good thing we don't know how hard it will be when we commit to it. 
Would I have done it? Well, I think I would have. Yeah, I think I would have. But there were challenges built into this process that I could not have expected. And, um, you know, how do you build a reputation in, in a new field for yourself? And I had a reputation in the Hoffman world, and I didn't have a reputation in this world. So it was really going out and talking to a lot of people about the vision and what I wanted to do and what I saw, what we could create together. And, and step by step, we built it. And now we have a, a thriving organization here with lots of coaches and facilitators. And I have a, a co-founder that I've been working with for the last five years. And I am so grateful that I actually took that step because I, know, I do know that this, this needed to be created. What I'm doing needed to be created for me, for my life, to fulfill my, my journey in this world. I, I know that I had to do this. No, it wasn't easy. I mean, today we can look back and, and say that, but in that year when it was challenging in ways that you couldn't have anticipated, what, what kept you moving forward? I would say trusting that voice within myself. I would say good friends, you know, remembering who I am and, and having, I'm grateful to have very good friends who believe in me and a partner who believes in me and, and leaning into that, to be honest. And asking the question regularly, am I crazy to have done this? And having people who know me very well who can say, no, you are not crazy and you can do this. You can absolutely do this. My partner was just an all-star in this whole process. He just so completely believed in me in this process. I really leaned into that. Yeah. So, yeah, support. I see the trend of, of support and you knowing how to accept it. There's two things that I'm hearing in almost every answer you've given me, starting from why did you go to Hoffman and when? And even that answer had the dual A, support and trust, right? I'm trusting my friend and I'm trusting my voice. It feels that whether it's good times or bad times, you have real access, a, a clear channel to this voice and you trust it. And it seems to me that this voice is what puts you in action. Like you said earlier, something like, I don't know when it's right. I don't even think about it. I just say yes. So the model that I, I went on to create and the model that we're teaching at Orem about how to really be high trust, high performance, collaborative team, we call it the, the vital team model. And the model really starts with, there, there are three aspects at the core of the self self-trust, self-leadership, clarity, my own emotional intelligence, really knowing myself. And the second aspect is my relationships and how I relate to the people around me. This really creates the field. It creates the system within which we work. It's the selves relating to other selves and those relationships create the whole, you know, the system that, that we work in. And the third aspect is action. So self, relationships, action, how do, we, how do we really draw upon all three of these and trust each other and lean into our mission and lean into the relationships and lean into our own self-trust? And you know, when we have all three of these aspects strong and functioning, teams tend to up-level, get better. They're able to draw upon all of these aspects. I see it ex being expressed in you as an individual. To me, it seems like when all three of those things are at their, like you said, high trust, high performance, people are out there doing their work in the world purposefully, meaningfully, impactfully. And that's a big deal in today's world. 
Yeah, and I and I I'll come back to support. You know, having the right team around you that you can be out on a limb and having other people saying, "You got this. I got your back. I'm here. If you fall, I'm going to catch you." I, I really think that teams at their best really provide that for one another, and they encourage we we encourage each other to risk and really, you know, sing the song that we're here on this planet to sing. And, and I've got your back if you need me. I find myself so often feeling very much out on a limb with something I'm teaching, something I'm facilitating, something I'm, you know, in the middle of orchestrating with a company or with a team. And and I look back behind me and I see the people who I know if I screw up, I know if I, if I take a missteps, you know, they've got me. What a gift to really have a team that trusts one another. And you probably know, Sharon, how rare that is. And when I say we're not running out of work anytime soon, I mean, I think trust is really the number one issue. When we come into working with a new team or a new leader, it's often because there are trust issues going on and that people don't lean into each other and people are really operating as individual performers within a team and then there's not a lot of the kind of support that I'm talking about. And, and we start with really building trust on a team and building trust in oneself and learning how to really how to really show up for each other. You know, we're in a moment where I think leaders at this point, you know, you and I are in our 50s. And so I think leaders at this point are young and quite possibly the generation that was born into social media and maybe had social media as early as their middle school and high school years. And I wonder if you're seeing them in your groups as leaders and if they, and if this shows up around trust, genuine trust, support, connection, et cetera. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So something that I'm seeing that is, is uh, challenging and disheartening at times is that I would say there's a, a lower level today coming into any organization of the ability to really relate to one another socially. I would say that levels of emotional intelligence and social intelligence are diminishing. 20 years ago, if you're standing around waiting for a meeting to start, you might be talking to somebody and saying, hey, you know, how's your mom doing? I heard that she, I heard that she'd had surgery or, or, hey, you've got a new cat. Let me see a picture. You know, <laughs> I mean, the, these little social conversations that people would have in the workplace around the water cooler, they just, they don't happen in the same way today. You know, people are standing around waiting for a meeting to start and they're on their phones. And what I'm hearing is that levels of anxiety have gone up significantly in this last decade. Social anxiety, the ability to really you know, form deep, solid relationships in the workplace. I would say that we've been diminished. And I'm, very, I'm very sad to say that. And, and you know, even with my up three teenage girls, I see what happens for them socially around social media and, and this lack of opportunity to really be uncomfortable, figure it out together, form relationships. There's always an escape hatch with social media and with your phone. And I hope as a parent, we've you know certainly tried to mitigate that as much as possible with how we've held, handled social media with our kids. But um, I really see it having an impact in, in terms of relationship abilities and, and how people connect and yeah, relate to each other in groups. In a way, I see this connection. On one hand, here you are teaching 
individuals who would come to the Hoffman process. And then at the end, they had this like, oh, how do I go back to my partner or to my work? I want things to change. And now you are meeting them in the context of work and leadership and team and systems. And from there, they get to bring that to their home life. They get to bring that to their relationships, to their intimate relationships, et cetera. Is that true? Do you see that happening with your, with your people? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. And, and in some ways, interestingly, it's a little bit of an easier transition because, you know, what we're teaching them in the workplace is about listening and collaboration and trust and healthy dialogue, how to have conflict where we're not personally attacking one another, how to debate the ideas versus debate who's right and wrong. And certainly what I've heard again and again is that, oh, you know, my partner's really going to thank you for this one. <laughs> so yeah, people are taking what we're teaching them and taking it right home. And um, yeah, it, yeah, I do think it's a little bit of an easier transition to learn these things in the workplace and then take them home. Now, there's a clearer path, I, I think, to that. Yeah, and, and there's there may be a more openness to, in the first place if it's under a work setting, like oh yeah, I want to be a better leader, uh, and then you take that to your home life. There's there might be a, a higher level of openness there. Yes, yeah, I I think there is, and uh, as you know, as we always say, that the journey of being a leader is really the human journey. You know, the doorway that we're walking through in in our work is work and leadership, but it's all the same, Sharon you know, coming to know myself, coming to have compassion for myself. You know, we're walking through a different doorway in, in the work that, that we're doing in Orem, but it's about becoming who I am. It's about trusting myself. It's about bringing my voice into this world. And isn't that what we're all doing? You know, whether it's the Hoffman process or, you know, I, I have the privilege of being able to work with groups of people through my work who might not ever be able to do something like the Hoffman process. We do a year-long management training company in the service industry. And, you know, we, we work with people who have never had any kind of exposure to this kind of work. And wow, how beautiful to see their hearts open and to really kind of enter a path of, of self-discovery and getting to know themselves in deeper ways and learning more about what they have to bring to this world. It's, it's a gift. I'll tell you, I am, I'm very, very moved by this idea of change and how you handled change in your life in a time that was that could have been sensitive and how underneath it all is this voice that you trusted and therefore you went into the unknown you left the known and went into the unknown and you know I don't think this will be the last time in your life that you're going to make that choice. You probably make it on mini levels every single day, and then you make it on macro levels every decade or so or whatever it is. And it inspires me because of my own relationship to change. And, and I hope that for the listeners, it's, it's an inspiration because we all have to have a relationship and an approach to change because it's, what's that saying? Change is the only constant. And boy, is that true. Boy, is it true. And, you know, I find that, that listening to that voice inside, there's something, you know, when I'm busy trying to make a decision or when I'm trying to help somebody else make a decision, what I often find is that it's much more about admitting to myself what the decision is or what that voice is saying versus trying to figure it out or know what I want. It's really, oh, yeah, admitting it. 
admitting that this is what's in my heart and this is the direction I want to go and giving that voice and saying it out loud and beginning to move on it. I think we know. Most of us know. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that voice saying, hey, you have, you have something to create. That probably wasn't the easiest thing to admit that that's what you were hearing. That must have been pretty scary. It was scary. It absolutely was. And I mean, you know, as we started talking <laughs> in this conversation, like leaving work that I deeply loved and was so fulfilling to me. And, and, and I think, you know, my fellow teachers and, you know, were probably looking at me going, what are you doing? This is so great what we get to do and the process and the, you know, it's all wonderful. And yet, you know, we make these decisions that other people are not going to understand, but we still know it's what I need to do. Yeah, it's um, it, you. T- you talked about the word trust. It's a beautiful example and embodiment of trusting yourself, trusting that intuition, trusting that voice, and going into the unknown. I think it's it's beautiful. Even great things, jobs we love, people we love, and things. Sometimes things come to an end. Chapters end, and that doesn't mean they're not powerful, pivotal, and magical. It just means that some things come to an end. That's right. And I, I think in general, as human beings, we, we struggle with that, especially when something is good. Knowing that I'm going to close this chapter and start a new chapter, this is a, this is a very, very difficult decision to make for most people. Oh, I hope, I hope a lot of people are tuning into this because I think this is, I, and especially thinking about, we're recording this at the end of 2022. I think the uh, pandemic really did offer some deep questions and some moments and opportunities to listen to that voice, to connect to that voice, and even make some tough decisions. So I think this is very relevant uh, conversation for us to be engaging in right now. Yeah, wonderful. Yes. Okay. Well, if I had some advice for all of us who've been through these these challenging times, is really to to take the time to tune in and to hear that voice. To really, because you know, so often we don't actually give ourselves the quiet space to really listen in. So to tune into that voice and to you know to move with courage. And I would say every major movement I've done in my life, when I was tuned into that voice and I was moving from courage. It may not always be that the first step I make is the right one, but I know that things are moving in that direction and we can always correct the course. You know, I I take a step forward toward the vision, toward the dream I have. And, you know, if I'm going off course, I'll, I'll, I'll know that and I can, you know, course correct and come back and come back. And I think it's not just about making the right decisions. It's about moving toward the vision with courage. I agree. I agree. Take, moving, the key word, moving with courage. Not waiting, not waiting until it's perfect. Not wait till you have the perfect plan. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did y'all hear that? <laughs> and also movement. Sometimes we underestimate movement is a big deal. Moving towards, moving towards is a very big deal. Case in point, year one of this, of look at now, in year six, we can reflect on it. But in year one, you didn't know, but you just kept moving towards. Yeah, that's right. I just kept moving towards. And it reminds me of this uh, beautiful Joseph Campbell quote that I have on my refrigerator that has been an inspiration to me for years. When I think about having a vision or having a goal, he says that sometimes we have to let go of the life we planned to make 
room for the life that's waiting for us. So, you know, it's this way with visioning and plans also. It may not be exactly the thing that you think it's going to be. But yes, it's something about that forward movement and about cooperating somehow, collaborating and cooperating with what's being given to you, plus staying in relationship with your vision and, and letting it be shaped, letting it be shaped by what you know and what you don't know. But movement, yes, courage and movement. Courage and movement. And I love this. I'm going to say it again just because it's powerful. Sometimes we need to let go of the life we planned to make room for the life that is waiting for us. Beautiful. Oh, Davey, thank you so much for sharing your journey and for inspiring all of us in how we relate to change and how we relate to that voice. And thank you for encouraging us to keep moving and moving toward and moving with courage. All right. Well, I have to say also, we have to wear great shoes while we do it, right? Because that is where we started, Sharon. I- <laughs> we come full circle. So um, let me say that again. So we move towards with our great shoes. Yes. <laughs> but the shoes, I'm going to clarify, that are comfortable, that are comfortable, functional, and that are pretty. Doesn't that go along with the age that we already revealed we are? Like, come on. It goes without saying. It does. (laughs) All right. Well, Davey, thank you so much. Thank you, Sharon. It's been such a pleasure being with you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Ras Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love in themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.